Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another week of the Hurry and Yell podcast. Today, we are going to go over a little bit of what we got right, what we got wrong from last week. Go over the top five college football games uh, of this coming weekend, uh, a few NFL games, and then we're going to get into college basketball a little bit at the end. I'm going to say what I would do if I were a coach of a program right now like Louisville, which is under a little bit of scrutiny. Actually, a whole lot of scrutiny. (laughs) Today, we are drinking Victory at Sea from Belast Point Brewery, which has been around since 1992 and started in the back of a homebrew supply store. Gives me hope that one day my brewery that hasn't been started yet, but might at some point because I've kicked the idea around. Uh, You've been kicking the idea around of homebrew for a really long time. For a very long time. But you know what? Now I've got the place to where I can actually do it because I have a garage where I can actually brew some beer. This is a great name for a beer. A great name. Victory at Sea. It's just tremendous. And it's from San Diego. How can you not like something from San Diego? It's probably, even though it's It's dark right now. It's a little sunny for me. It's probably 75. That's because you're Irish. Because you'd burn down there, but I love you it. You should have seen me in the Bahamas. Oh, I went to the Bahamas. I'm gonna rub it in. I couldn't go outside. I was so sunburned. Anyways, cheers to victory at sea. Anyone who likes porters like we do, that is a damn good beer. It smacks of vanilla and coffee. So if you like vanilla and coffee, or if you just like beer. That's what you get. Uh, Those are three of my favorite things, vanilla coffee and beer. So it is the perfect mix for me. All right. First, what we got right last week. Uh, I'm going to take the reins on this one. Uh, WSU-USC, I predicted 34-31 Cougs. Very, very close. 30-27 Cougs. Uh, The defense played lights out. Minus one long run. Held Darnold in check. And the crowd brought it. That was the best crowd I've seen at a Cougar game in 15 years, and it's not particularly close. I'm going to talk about something that's been bothering me in the aftermath of this game. It's the fact that it's it's getting thrown around a little bit that USC was really banged up. And they, you know, it was a little it was unfair to schedule them on the road on a Friday. After a rough stretch of games, and they're injured. Well, when they get injured, they have another five-star recruit come right behind them. What gets lost in the fact that they have three offensive linemen hurt is half of the Wazoo front seven that started the season was not playing in that game. Yeah, Namdi Aguayo was injured. Peyton Palur was injured. Neither one of them started. Isaac Dotson went out in the first quarter. And, you know, the kid who made the play on Darnold at the end was the third-string middle linebacker for the Cougs. That is a very good point. Which, the, the, any time Wazoo beats USC, it's coaching. Wazoo has tons, a lot more talent than they've had in a decade there. But Leach and Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, coach circles around them. If Wazoo was really clicking, which they weren't, they did not actually play that well. Especially offensively. It would have been a 30 to 40 point game. Especially offensively. They dropped six passes, including 
quite possibly the best Luke Falk throw you will ever see at the end of the first drive when he was getting tackled and threw the ball on a dime to Jameer was, Calvin in the back of the end zone. doing his whole giraffe on ice thing as he's running out there. Gets tackled, throws it on the run, which is usually a disaster for him. On a dime in the corner of the end zone, it hits a guy in the freaking chest, and he drops it. Yep. At, at the, the beginning of that game, I was worried that uh, it was going to be too big for the Kooks, especially you have that – the kid who dropped that was a true freshman. The next visit, next series, you had another true freshman drop a pass. You know, it was I, I was a little worried that, that the moment was going to be too big for him. But they settled down, and once they settled down and – they, they, they came and they brought it, and hats off to Jamal Morrow. For me, the biggest play of the game, and I said this to you right when it happened, USC had just kicked the field goal to tie it at 27, and there was about six minutes left in the game. Jamal Morrow, that first play, it's a run, which the Cougs don't do all that often, runs it for a first down. That set everyone at ease a little bit. I think if Jamal Morrow doesn't get positive yards or doesn't get a first down, that could have been a completely different game. That was the play of the game for me. It's well, you look at the running back on that on his runs at the end of the game, and I look at the left guard who opened the holes. Cody O'Connell has been kind of a bum this year uh, as far as playing to his potential, but he was clearing people out on that last drive. So hats and, off to the Kooks. And hats off to my colleague here on third and four. He goes, they're calling an inside trap right here. <laughs> and what do they do? They run an inside trap with Jamal Morrow right behind Cody O'Connell, get a 30-yard gain to get into field goal range. I also said that uh, the shovel pass was wide open, and they sat on it all game. They sat on it, they sat on it, they sat on it, and they called it at just the right time. The execution. That is how you call a game. The execution of that shovel pass was a thing of beauty because they had been swinging the other running back out yeah, they, wide. They, they ran that play and he threw it. And it was, it was just, almost it got, picked. It got blown up. And it was almost he picked. had to throw it so that the next time they swing him in motion, everyone's going that way. And then they vacate the space. Shovel pass goes in there. Morrow wasn't touched. Was that's, not touched. That's how you scheme. That's how you design plays. And that's you dial them up so that your best plays are at the end of the game. And there's so many play callers. Daryl Bevel. Andy Reid most of the time. Dirk Cutter. This, it's a classic Dirk Cutter. Guarantee you that he threw everything he had at New England tonight. We're, yes, we're recording <laughs> this on Thursday. The Patriots... Uh, Buccaneers game is going on. In fact, it's 16-7 to 7 right now. Another barn burner on Thursday night in the NFL. He showed his whole hand in the first quarter. I didn't even need to see the game to know it. Busy does that every time. He's the opposite of Kyle Shanahan. Uh, and now I'm going to talk about what I got wrong. I'll do what I got right, what I got wrong, and then you can do what you got right and what you got wrong. Uh, I'm staying in the Pac-12. What I got wrong was my uh, my upset pick. The plucky little California Golden Bears looked like the California Golden Bears that we expected them to be. Um, Oregon still isn't that good. We'll talk about them a little later, whether they're playing their second string or third string quarterback uh, this week. But they still had more than enough firepower to uh, take down my, my, my upset pick in the California Golden Bears. Well, I do have a right... But 
I'd also like to say that uh, I called that Oregon score forty five in that game. You pr- you hit forty five. You hit forty five points pr- exactly. I'm pretty proud of that one. You're you should be just like I'm proud the Cougs won by three. You should be proud that you called Oregon I, I, getting forty five points. Uh, Georgia beating Tennessee. Uh, that's it for that. That's it for Bush. Yeah, Bush is gone. You, you don't get your ass kicked at home. Forty-one to nothing. Forty-one nothing with all of those great recruits, unless you're an awful football coach. Uh, interesting thing about that: if uh, you are watching, you're streaming the game on CBS online. You can get the all twenty-two, which of course I chose to get. Shocker! The detail that you you see a lot more with uh, styles of coaching because you can see so much more than what the TV broadcast shows you, and the detail and the tenacity that Kirby Smart coaches with, and the intolerance for any bullshit, any disorganization whatsoever. While Butch Jones is just pacing the sideline, wondering, hoping that somebody can force a fumble, it was really interesting to see how the two sidelines and staffs operated. That would be interesting to see. Uh, Kirby Smart is a Nick Saban disciple, so that does not surprise me that his attention to detail is probably a little bit more than most coaches. So, and I got wrong. Uh, my upset pick was Virginia Tech and Clemson. Uh, Clemson, you know, I think they're the best team in college football this year. I think they're the best team right now. I mean, I know Alabama's number one in the country in the last two weeks have been absolutely absurd, beating SEC teams 130 million to four or something like that. Honestly, it's like 123 to three the last two weeks. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But Clemson right now has a better resume, beating three top 15 teams. Say what you want about Auburn. That defense. <laughs> that defense is that defensive line is just ridiculous. They get pressure with just four, and so they can do whatever they want in the back because they know that those front four are going to get pressure on whoever they're playing. Uh, last thing on Clemson, I'm not one for hyperbole, but we may look back at that front four as one of the best front fours in recent memory for Clemson. Alabama had a great front four last year, but. Uh, these guys just play football. Yeah, it's it's absolutely absurd what Dabo has been able to recruit to Clemson. Um, Venables, my boy. Brent Venables. If he's still a defensive coordinator. Some guys just like to be D.C. So you think he's going to go the Bud Foster route and stay D.C.? Or do you think he wants a head coaching job? I cannot fathom that he has not had a great offer yet. It's true. So... Here's to hoping that Alex Grinch is in that mode as well and wants to stay in Pullman long term. I don't think so. I think he's gone after this year, maybe next year, but let's just wait until see how they finish. Yeah, but because they, the tough games are to come. That's really. true. Stanford, UW, Utah. Yeah, all coming down the pipeline. Two of those are on the road. All right, so that's uh, our recap from last week. We're going to dive right into the top five college football games. Um, in our opinion, of the Week 6 season. For me, the number 5 game, uh, a showdown in the Pac-12, one of the teams being undefeated, and it is not WSU Oregon. It is Stanford and Utah. Uh, Bryce Love all of a sudden is getting some Heisman love because he's ran for 1,100 yards in, in September. 
Uh, pun intended on that one, by the way. Um, well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank you very much. But like, did he just do that? Oh yeah, you better believe I did. I've been waiting all week to crack that one out. When he ran for 300 yards on Arizona State, I knew exactly what I was going to say in this podcast. Um, you know, he's now being mentioned in the Heisman. Um, right up there with Saquon Barkley. Again, you know, Stanford has a great offensive line, so it's kind of like Luke Falk puts up numbers in a good offense for him. Bryce Love puts up good numbers in an offense for running backs as well. So you always hear about the system for quarterbacks in a leech lay offense. What about, you know, Toby Gerhardt, you know, Christian McCaffrey, all of those guys. Gaffney. Yep. Uh, Stephon Taylor. Yep. All of those guys, you know, I think it's a system for Stanford running backs as well. So, but this game, uh, I, I, I don't know who is going to win this game. Honestly, it It is in Utah. It is in rice Eccles. And that's why I think I'm going to give the edge to Utah. Not to mention Utah has never hasn't lost to Stanford since they joined the Pac-12, which I read today. I was about to ask that. Which I read today, and very it surprised me because I thought you know Stanford has basically Stanford and Oregon have owned the Pac-12 for the last five years, but they have never beat Utah since Utah joined the conference. Um, so with that being said, I think I am going to go Utah something in the twenty to seventeen range. It's going to be my we prediction. We know one thing, and it's going to be a little story. Yes. So Utah uh, getting overlooked. I believe they're undefeated. Is that correct? They are. They're um, undefeated. I think they're 20th. They're on their 30th offensive coordinator in the last five years, it seems like. But Troy Taylor is a good coach, and he's coaching the scheme that they want. They finally realize that you need to be able to throw the ball to win big in this conference. Um, Stanford doesn't do great against teams that can isolate them in space. Utah has just monsters up front on both sides of the ball. Just and like that's always. why Stanford struggles with them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Utah just wins this game by double digits, honestly. Like, they just defend Stanford really well. Uh, they, they can't bully them to take a lot of pride in being physical. They're one of the only teams that routinely is as physical as Stanford. I would say Kyle Whittingham would suit up and play and tackle love all by himself. I I think he could play middle linebacker. I think he has a year of eligibility left. I think he should go (laughs) just play middle linebacker for him. So Um, I, I, I think that Utah is not going to win the conference. They won't even win their division, probably, because they always do some boneheaded slip up against a mediocre team. One of the Arizona schools. Um, Oregon last year. Yeah, I actually think Utah does have a good chance to win the division only because there are six schools in the Pac-12 South. In the five previous five years, there have been five different winners. There is one that has not won the division in the last six years, and that is Utah, and I think they're going to complete it just to go full circle. And you know I like symmetry like that. By that rationale, the Utes are due. The Mariners would have been due a long time ago. And while you're wearing that dumbass Mariner shirt right now, season's over, Brian. I thought he was going to wait until my baseball minute to pull out my Mariner shirt and make fun of me for it, but he got it in it early. I'm impressed. I'm impressed the segue you made. Um, 
I think Utah's been knocking on the door for so long. Yeah, they were game away from it last. The last there's been like a couple three years. Win a game, beat Colorado, and you're in. And Colorado has their number, like they have Stanford. Stanford's number. We will see, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Their number. I mean, Utah had to fumble the ball what eight times last year to beat that overrated Colorado team. Well, you were right in Colorado this year, and saying that they lost so much, and you know that coach was relying on nine seniors on defense, and now he actually has to do a little bit of coaching, and that team has not looked very good so far. Yeah, they're replacing a lot of guys. I think. I mean, they'll be. They're a bull team. Yeah, and they'll be a bowl team for a long time. The number four game for me, and yes, these are completely arbitrary, uh, is LSU Florida. Um, I know my esteemed colleague here wants to go on a little bit of a rant about the Louisiana State University Tigers, so I'm going to let him have the mic right now and let him go. I don't have anything actually to say to break down this game. Um, other than LSU should win, just like LSU should have won last week, and LSU should have beat Mississippi State. However, uh, Ed Ogeron apparently has not learned from the mistakes of Les Miles. He hires an offensive coordinator who is famous among college football nerds everywhere for his incredibly diverse offense. Shifts, formations, motion, it's a lot for a defense in the college level to handle. So what does Ed do? He says, line up in the eye. No shifts, no formations, keep it simple. We don't overload them. Everyone's wondering why the offense for LSU sucks with another new coordinator. That's why. Because he's not cut. I would not be surprised if Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, who also, he got there and he was a very... Highly respected coach. He's doing a decent job there. But I wouldn't be surprised if Ogeron told him to keep it simple. Because that's the way he likes to coach football. You're not going to – you don't win. Les Miles lost when his offensive coordinators just lined up in the eye and ran the ball. Jimbo Fisher, as his OC, they won the Sugar Bowl. They were dropping 40, 50 points a game. They made Jamarcus Russell the number one Gary pick in the Crowden, draft. Gary he was scoring 40, 40 points a game with Matt Flynn at quarterback and uh, Jordan Jefferson for a year or two. The second they got away from a diverse offense that tests defenses, the program has collapsed. And until these old-school smash-mouth coaches accept the fact that this is not Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, Big Ten football anymore, especially in the SEC when they all have horses up front. LSU is going to be a mediocre program, just like they were before Saban got there. Because that's what Saban brought a great scheme and great recruiting. No matter how well you recruit, you still have to coach them. Well, and look at what Saban's doing in Alabama. That's a perfect example. I mean, he loves the smash mouth style of football but he knows that it's not working so he has gone more up tempo more spread they're still physical you can still play physical football and have more than three formations it's possible just look at michigan michigan is one of the hardest teams to prepare for because of all of the formations and the shifts that they do and they're also one of the most physical teams out there 
because that's just what they value. It boggles my mind that LSU still does this. They still run the quick, the quick pitches and the just the dives, and they still have the you know the tight end and the fullbacks and the two I receivers. I love the tight end and the full. I love that. That's my favorite form. One of the favorite formations, the I formation. But just switch it up a little bit. This is modern college football. Okay, that's all I've got on that game. Uh, with that being said, I'm actually going to pick LSU to win this game. Despite the rant that we both went on, we both are picking uh, LSU to win. Uh, I've been a fan. One last thing. The very first SEC game I remember watching was like a 1995 game between Auburn and LSU at night on ESPN. That was the first time I ever saw SEC football. And I, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Insane crowd, physical football. I have had my eye on LSU and been a casual fan for 20 years. And this is really pissing me off. I can vouch for that <laughs> because when we one of the first things we talked about when we met was SEC football and how much he loved LSU and how much he loved the old LSU helmets, the old school feel of the helmets and the eye on the 50-yard line and the fact that they have a live fucking tiger right outside the stadium. So I can vouch for that. Um, my, Ooh, I'm sweating after that. My first SEC experience, I went to the cocktail party six, seven years ago. Uh, Florida, Georgia, when it went into overtime, that was one of the best weekends of my life. I will get more into depth about that when Florida and Georgia actually play um, in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that just because I love talking about my, my two-day rendezvous, two-day trip to Jacksonville, Florida, which is the only time I've ever been to Florida. So anyways, back to the game. Yes, I also think LSU is actually going to win. Uh, the number three game uh, for college football, uh, two teams we've talked about already, Washington State and Oregon. Um, this could easily be a letdown game for the Cougs. It's the first time on the road um, this year, after five straight home games being the only team in the country to do that, which I didn't like as a fan having five straight home games, but now that they're 5-0, and I'm going to take it. Um, little, little worried just because it is their first road game. I think they're going to be okay. I think the Cougs are going to win. I would have picked them to win even if the starting quarterback for Oregon was there. Now that he's not there, I am a little more confident that WSU takes it. I think if Oregon was starting their quarterback, Oregon would win the game. Uh, WSU, when there's no passing threat, their defense dominates people. And if Oregon can't throw the ball, they're screwed. Uh, Oregon's defensive coordinator is the same as Colorado's last year, which means he's going to run a lot of man coverage. He's also going to blitz the opposite side of the running back when they see a run call. So you might see Wazoo run a little bit more of two backs to even that out. Or you're going to see them run a lot of counters. Or you're going to see them run this. They don't run counters. Well, maybe they maybe they're they're going to do it this week. You might want to. They might put in a little fly sweep action. Yes, get a seal or a wham there. I think I think something to hold that guy. Yep. Or you know, get us get get the get the running back over the top and then just do like a, a screen over the top of the of that guy and like let him run three almost almost like a screen. Um, I, I'm with you. I think they're going to be more two-back sets. I think the Cougs had more two-backs against USC than we'd seen this year, and I think that's going to continue as well, um, especially since their two best playmakers probably are those are those two running backs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Jamal yeah. Morrow and James Williams are probably their two best playmakers. Tavares Martin's up there as well. 
but I would give it to Williams and tomorrow. So um, I, I want them on the field as much as possible together. Oregon's team that's won by talent and speed and not execution so far. They are playing a lot harder. They're tackling better, but they're playing a better team. And so I think the Cougs are going to win. If they don't win, I will not be surprised. I will even be that disappointed. Depends on how they play. Um, if, it, if they come out and just I don't completely think they're gonna, fall in I don't the face. I don't think they're going to be flat. I would, I would be really surprised if they came out flat because all these guys have been in the program long enough that if you come out flat because you're feeling too good about the week before, you're just going to be benched. You're going to be for a week. And you'll get benched just like yeah. Falk against Boise State. Exactly. Okay. I'm with you. I think WSU wins this as well. Number two. One of the greatest rivalries in all of college football, in my opinion, wide right itself, Miami-Florida State. Um, lost a little bit of luster the last few years with Miami not being good and before that, Florida State not being good, before that, both teams not being good, you know. But both teams were ranked in the top 20 this year to start the year. Florida State obviously has had a really weird start to their year with like three buys in the first five weeks because of the hurricane. Um, they won their first game of the year last week. Uh, this is going to be fun, and I always love watching it when these two teams play. So, rant number two. Um, I know that Florida State has a freshman quarterback starting because their previous quarterback was murdered against Alabama, which is the source of my rant. For the last two years, I have watched a team that I used to count on for decades for pretty solid offensive line play just piss themselves against decent front fours. There is no excuse whatsoever that you, as Florida State, cannot field or coach a good offensive line. Sidebar, last year was at Washington against Alabama. What are you talking about? You said the second year in a row. No, the Florida State, two oh, years in a row. Gotcha, okay. I thought you meant two different teams. They got it sorted out at the end of, at the end of last year. However... Uh, the quarterback still took a ton of hits. Yeah. And now he's out for the year. And they just get their ass kicked in pass protection every single time. I don't know if it's talent, but I don't understand how a school that at one point recruited guys like Walter Jones and Rodney Hudson and Trey Thomas and Alex Barron, big, athletic, talented, good players to play on the offensive line can feel the product that has been out there the last two years. Miami lost four games against good teams last year, all of them by less than a touchdown. I think they're a year older, a year wiser, and I think they're going to dominate Florida State. This is another one like uh, Tennessee, Georgia last week, where I could see anything happening. I mean, whenever these two teams get together, something crazy inevitably happens. I think Miami's going to win. I think it's going to be a little closer than you do. Um, I think Miami is a year older, like you said, more experienced. But Florida State just is so talented. And at some point, they're going to bring it all together. They're not talented in the right spots. They're talented at the skill positions right now. Their defense is really talented, though. They have a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism. So does Miami. That's true. That's why I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, which is why I don't think Miami's going to blow them out. I think Miami's going to win. I think it's going to be like 23-10. to 10. So when I say, I say blowout, it's going to be a couple scores. It's going to be comfortable. Florida State might get a touchdown at the end um, or the beginning. Uh, or, or a pick six. 
with the amount of athletes they have at running back and receiver, if Jimbo Fisher and how good of a coach Jimbo Fisher is, if he can get just get someone to block up front, that's team. That's a national championship team every single year. Yeah, that's that's all I've got to say about that. There's rant number two. I think that's all my rants for today. I think so. Uh, There's I'm, no English muffin problem this this week. No, we're gonna have a our our end of the end of uh, end of the podcast conversation is gonna be about college basketball. I'm super excited about talking about this because I'm bringing up one of my favorite movies from the '90s, which I will talk about, and it will come full circle and it will make sense. I promise. TCU West Virginia. That's the number one game. That's gonna be our last game we talk about. My boys, my, my boys in purple and black from Fort Worth. TCU is the team that I'm riding with just because they are my they were my underrated team, and so I gotta stick with them while they're doing this. So I finally watched TCU play. Uh, their tackles are not great. Their guard and their center are maulers. They love they if they can run the ball on you, you're finished. That said, Kenny Hill is a little erratic. He is. His footwork is a travesty, and he's got a huge arm. He reminds me a little bit of Trevon Boykin. I should have a great scheme that he's working in. How long has Kenny Hill been there, by the way? Because I'm pretty sure he was Trevon Boykin's backup, and I'm pretty sure he was Andy Dalton's backup as well. He was, whenever Johnny Manziel graduated Texas A&M, he was a guy that filled in after him, and then he transferred, sat out a year. So then he started as like a redshirt freshman at Texas A&M. So it seems like he's been in college football forever. Uh, West Virginia has a pretty good defense. They also have West Virginia, Florida State's quarterback as a transfer, Clint Trickett. Is he still there? Clint, Clint Trickett. Or no, it's Will Greer is their quarterback, isn't it? Sorry, Ron. He's he's a a quarterback coach or OC at Florida Atlantic. I love it. Okay. He was at the JC level coaching for years. Sorry, wrong Florida school (laughs) transfer. That's right. Will Greer is their quarterback. Clint Trickett got beat out by EJ Manuel. Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? All right, little wrong Florida school, but I was on the right track. You just wanted to say Clint Trickett. Why wouldn't you want to say Clint Trickett? I love it. That hick. So they have a Florida State transfer? Florida. Florida. Will Greer. Oh, he's not even – okay. He's not great, but that defense is pretty good. Yeah. And they're going to – they're not going to wilt like a Like lot Oklahoma of, State did? So that's the game I watched. That team is horribly coached. Thank you. They are so talented, but – God, they're dumb sometimes. It's personal foul after personal foul. They're always out of position. There's no gap control on defense. There's penalties and penalties and penalties. A mullet doesn't make you a good coach, people. Speaking <laughs> of penalties and penalties and penalties, we talked and, and, and sidebar for a second, just because I, I love this and I want to bring this up. We talked at the beginning of the season about how dirty UCLA was last year and about how That's coaching. Well, UCLA has played four games. In four games, they have had four players ejected for targeting. One each game. They also lead the league in capturing penalties, don't they? Yes. That's coaching. So justified in what I said and vindicated by how stupid that UCLA team actually is. So I I just wanted to bring that up. (laughs) 
actually the local newspaper here, the Seattle Times, has a segment where they have like different Pac-12 things. And one of them is actually the UCLA targeting penalty of the week. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not sponsored by a hospital, but it's literally there. And they, it, it was, I read that and I, I read that while I was eating lunch. I almost spit out the soup I was eating because I was laughing so hard. It was beautiful. Back to the game. I think TCU is going to win this game. I think TCU is going to win this game probably like 34 to 24. I think it's going to be comfortable. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I don't think Kenny Hill is going to have to do too much. And I think the defense is going to keep West Virginia in check. I disagree with you. We'll see what happens. So you have West Virginia? I have West Virginia. All right. All right. There we go. We have to disagree sometimes. That's perfectly fine. All right. Take me home, country roads. There we go. Um, so we're going to both do our upsets. Okay. Yeah, go we're going to do our upsets. It's going to be split. Him, His upset's the NFL. My upset is college. My upset is actually tomorrow, uh, Friday night game. It doesn't involve ranked teams at all. It's Boise State against BYU. Uh, BYU is an eight-point underdog at home against Boise State. I know BYU has been struggling. They're one and four, but they have played very good teams in LSU. Well, they played good defenses, anyways. LSU. They've played Michigan. They played, or they excuse me, LSU, Wisconsin, Utah. Those three teams, most teams would be 0-3 against them, unless you're Troy. But anyways, um, I think BYU is going to be – is more battle-tested. Boise State has lost to the Cougs, and they lost to Virginia. They got their shit packed by Virginia. Um, so they're still an eight-point favorite. I don't know why. I think BYU and their 38-year-old quarterback is going to take this home. Do you know why they're an eight-point favorite? Because BYU is not that good. Because BYU lost by 16 points to Utah State. They lost by 34 points to Wisconsin. They lost. They gave up 27 points to LSU. They gave up 27 to LSU. So that's all I've got to say about that. I but still think I actually hope because I like BYU's coach that he gets it together and they win. I hate Boise. Um, that's well documented. <laughs> so. Good luck. Thank you. So I got to ask you, do you want to do the minute on baseball now? Because we're – Well, I'd like to do my upset pick first. Do, well, so what I was going to ask is do you want to do the minute on baseball and then start with the upset into the NFL section? No, we're going to do my upset. Go ahead. And then we're going to talk about your little sport. Go ahead. Okay. For reasons unbeknownst to me, Pittsburgh is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over Jackson. Pittsburgh has played a litany of awful teams. And kind of gotten they lost lucky to, the Bears. to beat a few of them. Uh, there's some discord in Steeler Town between Big Ben, who I think is just cashing checks until retirement because he's got to pay Pittsburgh 18 million if he retired last year. Uh, calling out Antonio Brown, I think that I would uh, walk in front of traffic before I called out Antonio Brown because he's one of the best receivers in football. Jacksonville, deceptively, has a great defense. Sec- they were a top 10 unit last year under Gus, cheerleader Bradley, and now they're actually getting coached. They've got a ton of talent. They've got an identity on offense. They're, you know, they're two and two. They're not great. They're but a lot better than what they have been. I feel like 
this is a win that they can grind out. I, or at least a cover. But I'm gonna, I'll, I think they're going to win. I, I think they can easily win this game, too. Where's it at? Do you know? It's in Pittsburgh. It's in Pittsburgh. That's okay. Uh, Jacksonville's horrible at home. Well, Jacksonville doesn't have a home field advantage. Yeah. That, I mean, that's why the... They got hot tubs in the end zone. I know. But that still is why their uh, owner wants to move to London. So. All right. Baseball. Hold on. Let me pull up my timer for your, you know, you, know, you should probably invest in some sound effects for this segment, too. Not a circus, maybe a crack of the bat. All right, are you ready? I am. One minute on baseball starts now. I don't. I don't think I'm going to need a minute. So, uh, the last two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, were the uh, National League and American League play-in games. They were very entertaining, but God, they were long. Um, I think this is going to start a trend with those games, where basically the teams are going to have one starting pitcher and just the rest relief pitchers because you can you can move players around in between every series and technically that one game playing game is a series so you can literally have one pitcher that starts and then the rest relievers and it's going to be not too long before a team like the indians literally just has a bullpen by committee start because they have such a dominant bullpen that being said the games were very entertaining they were super long because there were so many pitching changes the starting pitchers the four starting pitchers went a combined seven and a third innings. So quick hooks. The Yankees needed to do it. The Diamondbacks didn't, but I still think those games were both entertaining. 2-0 and in my predictions, by the Time. way. And the Astros won today, making me 3-0. and There we go. If I didn't get, if I had given you more than a minute, I would have been interested to delve into that starting bullpen thing a little bit further. But uh, I mean, another time. this is something that we can talk about all throughout the season be- or the, the playoffs, because I think that it's just going to continue. The Mariners in their press conference also alluded to trying something like that with a couple of their starters. The Mariners have done that. The Mariners. Have, but yeah. the difference is that the Mariners bullpen but sucks. Scheduling, actually scheduling, planning, uh, like every fifth, every other start for a couple of their pitchers start do a bullpen by committee. So Felix doesn't wear down. It's not a bad idea at all um, if you have a good bullpen. If you have a bullpen like the Yankees, which is statistically one of the most dominant bullpens ever, or the Indians, which is also statistically one of the most dominant bullpens ever. Um, well, that's why the Yankees are going to win the World Series. The Yankees are not going to get out of this out of this round because they're playing the Indians. We'll see. I'm looking forward have to it. Have they played yet? They, it was 3 nothing in the fourth inning Indians last time I checked today. So... Who knows what it is right now? I will check that really quick. And I will let you talk about our first NFL game, which is the Seahawks against the Rams. Okay. So, under Jeff Fisher, the Rams were the Seahawks kryptonite. 4 nothing. Indians won, by the way. Okay. Well, that's one game. There you go. All right. We're is done that, with baseball. Is that a five or a seven? Is that a five? Um, so Jeff Fisher is gone and this, uh, wonder boy head coach is coaching the Rams and doing quite a good job of it. That said, I do not think that they are as good as they look, even though this is the first time they've been favored against the Seahawks since 2011. How many times have they beat the Seahawks at home since 2011 where they've been the underdog? 2012, 2014, 2015. 
2016. So four out of the five years as the underdog, they they beat them. And 2013, the Seahawks only beat them because Golden Tate got like a 75-yard touchdown deflection and then taunted his whole way down. That's right. I remember that. And then they stopped him at the one-yard line. Um, Kellen Clemens was playing quarterback for the Rams. That doesn't mean anything. Case Keenum has beat the Seahawks. So I do not think the Rams are going to do as good of a job, as dominating of a job, as they have in the past against the Seahawks because they don't run the same scheme anymore. So they used to run a 4-3, the Greg Williams 4-3. Didn't have any rules as really as far as gap discipline or anything. Just get the hell upfield and get to the quarterback. Headhunt. There, there's, it's hard to scheme against it because it doesn't make sense. Um, but also needs the players to play really hard. So at the end of the season, you always saw his defense tail off because they're tired and most of the time they're out of playoffs. Anyway, last year, the CX did okay because Russell had missed had two bad knees in that game. I'm not worried, actually, about the CX defense against Jared Goff. I think the CX are going to protect pretty well. The run game will do just enough. And I think this might be one of those games where the CX defense just dominates. We saw a little bit of that attitude at the second half last week, which we haven't seen since Earl Thomas got hurt last year. Just that violent, fast football. If they keep playing like that, they're going to run away with this one. So that's what that's all I've got to say about that. Just I I I'm a little nervous playing in playing the Rams just because it just seems like the Rams always have our number and yes different defensive scheme but they still have Aaron Donald. They have and, one of the worst rush defenses in college football. Aaron Donald has NFL. not been as good in the NFL. Yeah. That's true, and I think I think the holdout has actually hurt Aaron Donald. He's got to work his way into shape. Yeah, and so I think they always play. It feels like they always play this game like in either St. Louis or Los Angeles early in the season, like the first third of the season. So That's right, yeah. And I, it's always down there first. And yep. It's in Seattle in December. Yep, and I don't know why that is, but I, I this play it always makes me nervous playing the Rams. Um, so I, I, I'm i going to pick the Seahawks, but I'm going to not be very confident with the pick. Oh, I'm not confident either. I, I'm really glad the Rams are back in L.A. I, I really like I, – I'm kind of going to be pissed when they get that new stadium because NFL football in the Coliseum is something I grew up on, and I think it's awesome. That's true. That's true. But and the Seahawks don't do well on grass either. Yes, but it's going to be good weather. That's and true. the Coliseum in September, that they, they take care of that field. If it was November, it's a problem. But that field's going to be in really good shape. Another game that pits two NFC playoff teams from last year together. Not another one, but a game that pits two NFC playoff games together. The Packers and the Cowboys. Packers have had kind of a brutal schedule playing the uh, Seahawks already. The Bears last week. Yeah, but playing the Seahawks, the Falcons, and the Cowboys. You play the three other division winners in the first five weeks of the season. Well, then they get into their divisional games. That's true. Yeah. Well, the Lions are are looking like they an actual own, competent football I team. I, I like, I'm really big. I'm bullish on the Lions. More than me. As you'll see later. But uh, I think the Packers are going to win this game. The Cowboys defense sucks. 
Dak Prescott is going to need to lead that offense to 30-plus points to win this game. He doesn't I don't have it think, in him. I don't think he can do it. He doesn't have it he in him. He did it last year in the playoffs. He got him back in the game. They're going to stack the box, one-on-one coverage. He's got to make the throws. I don't think he's going to make them. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think that Dak – I still don't know what to think of Dak, to be honest. I mean, game manager – he has the best running back in football, which helps. He has the best offensive line in football, which helps. Basically, the coach just says, don't make mistakes. So he's kind of like Luke Falk, in my opinion. He's Russell Wilson. I think Russell's better. Well, now he is. Russell has early a, the Russell. first couple. Russell, his second year, won the Super Bowl, though. <laughs> but he didn't do much until the end of the year. Because you, team, you rookie year, you can catch teams. Because they don't know what you can and can't do. All defenses, all defensive coordinators have an entire offseason of looking at Dak and figuring out what his holes are. Sure. And he's just he's just not looking great. That's true. I, I, I thought the hyperbole was a little much about rating him a top 20 player in the entire NFL. Who the hell did that? NFL.com and their top 100 players had him at 15, just ahead of Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald will be in the Hall of Fame. Dak Prescott will not. Yeah, I, I, trust me, I agree. But that's why those rankings are hilarious. One little thing. Uh, um, for some reason, the Rams always have great players. I've hated them for years that I really respect. I really like Torrey Holt, and I really like Aaron Donald. Yep. That's all I got to say. All right, we've got one more game to talk about as far as NFL before we get into our college basketball uh, diatribe. And that would be another team between two NFC teams, the Lions and the Panthers. Now, we're not going to talk about anything Cam Newton said during the week. We're just going to talk about the game. And I think the Lions are going to win this one easy. And I thought I thought the Lions were going to win this game before this whole distraction thing. By the way, take a drink every time Cam Newton is mentioned with a female reporter during the game. You'll be drunk by midway through the second quarter. Because they will bring it up a lot because that's what commentators uh, he do. He sent out a little uh, make-the-peace video because, you know, apparently she's a bit of a racist. Did you hear about that? I did not. And we're not going to get into that right now. We are not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that, but that was that was interesting. I found it to be relevant to the whole thing. But regardless, I don't think the Lions are going to win this one easily. I think they're going to win. It's going to be a low-scoring game, good, solid defenses, Panthers do well against undisciplined defenses and exotic schemes because you run out of gaps. The Lions don't do that. So as long as they can manage themselves up front, I think they're going to win this game. And I think the Panthers are going to come out flat and they're a little bit banged up. Yeah, I think so too. I think Christian McCaffrey has been kind of overrated so far. I don't think they've used him that well. I think they need to use him out of the backfield more as far as catching balls, get him in space a little bit more than they have been. Um, but I think that the Lions are going to win this game easy, like I said. I, I, I'm not sold on Carolina at all, despite the win at New England. New England has been kind of up and down so far this year, um, and I think that the, the Lions have been um, the more consistent team so far. New England is no mystery to losing September home games and then going on and winning Super Bowls. Yeah, when was the last time? I feel like they never lose in like October, November. December is when they really kick ass. Fine, I feel yeah. like they never lose the last three months. Yeah. Uh, by the way, 
like this, this is another reason why I'm going to pick the Seahawks. Russell Wilson doesn't lose in the month of October. He just doesn't. I think Russ reached a different plane of existence in that second half last week. I was really furious with the way he'd been playing the first, you know, first half of every game this season. And I think he, when he gets that look in his eye, if he can keep that up, he, he just takes over games. No more just be no more dip, diplomacy in the way he plays. Just take it over. Uh, I'm going to bring up Delta once again because I love <laughs> Delta. Uh, so before the year started, I signed up for something where every Russell Wilson yard, I get a free mile on the Delta Delta website. So I'm rooting for Russell Wilson to throw for like 400 yards a game because I get free miles for every yard he throws. So you get 337 miles from uh, that Titan game? Yeah, I have over 373. I have over 1,000 free miles already. And it's awesome. Now, I got a question about miles. Yes. Is that actual miles? No. It takes about 15,000 miles to get a free trip to San Diego from Seattle, which is, what, 1,500 miles? I mean, it's probably 10 point miles for every mile flown. That's silly. It is. But you know what? It's free, so I'll take it. You know, and I got a bunch of miles for the trip to New York, so I'm on my way. So, basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, college basketball is almost here. It's a couple weeks away. Teams are starting to practice. Uh, you, By now, you both know that both of us are Cougs. Uh, Washington State University basketball, we're not going to talk about it all. Uh, that Coug team is horrible. That Coug team was horrible last year. They were horrible the year before. They're not going to be any better. So this is probably the last time we talk about Cougar basketball, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I am from Spokane. I'm a big Gonzaga guy. I will be talking about Gonzaga basketball a lot. Um, they lost so much. I honestly don't think they're winning the WCC this year. I think St. Mary's is going to do it because they have a lot more returning. Too many unknowns for Gonzaga. I'll bet you baseball minutes Gonzaga wins the WCC. So, spring training? You take them when you want them. I'll give you five minutes. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that more <laughs> down the road. Um, whether it's regular season or tournament, actually you don't believe in conference tournaments. That's going to be something that you're going to have to talk about in one of these podcasts is your disdain for conference tournaments. But we'll get into that in a second. No problem. Yeah, we'll get into we'll get into that a little bit down you're, the road. You're going to have to put me on a time limit for that. Yeah, but it's definitely going to be more than a minute. Okay, so what I'm going to talk about right now is what I would do if I was the coach at Louisville. Now, obviously, recruiting for Louisville is going to be super hard the next few years. They have David Padgett, who was on that 2005 Final Four team as their interim coach. I don't think he's going to be there long term. Uh, I do think he's going to coach this season. You're also likely, I'm guessing, looking at scholarship reductions. Yes. If nothing else. Yes. This, and a postseason ban. Yes. This this team will be will have a postseason ban. This team will face scholarship reductions. This team still could get the death penalty. Honestly, it could. Um, but what I would do... Honestly, if I was the Louisville coach, is I would take a page out of Yule Brenner's book in Cool Runnings. Now, everyone loves the 1992-1993 movie Cool Runnings. Uh, there was a disgraced bobsled coach who wanted to see if he could get track sprinters to run on ice. So what he wanted was athletes, and he fit the athletes into the scheme. That is what I would do at Louisville. I would take what Patino does, what Bob Huggins does, 
what Nolan Richardson does, and I would turn it up a notch. I would get between seven and nine guys that are between 6'4 and 6'9. I don't give a flying rat's ass if they can shoot a basketball. I need guys that are conditioned, that can run, and that can jump. Okay, You don't need to practice making threes if everything is going to be a fast break and everything is going to be a dunk. That's what I would do. I would turn it into a straight-up 40 minutes of hell, press, trap, full court, made baskets, missed baskets, free throws, everything. You turn up the intensity and you turn up the pressure whenever you can. Now, there are going to be games that you're going to lose by 50 because, for whatever reason, you're not causing turnovers. This is exactly what happened with West Virginia. Every once in a while, West Virginia just has a game where they get the doors blown off of them. But for the most part, they are competitive against every team. And I think it doesn't matter the personnel if you have the scheme and if you coach it right, this team will be competitive and this team will be entertaining. And that's what Louisville needs for the next few years. That is my comparison to cool runnings. That is what I would do. You get the athletes to fit the system first, just for the next few years. You see how competitive you can be. You see how much fun they're having running up and down the floor. And then you're going to get better kids coming in. Well, and to reinforce your point, you're not going to be getting good basketball players. No. Because no one's going to want to play for a team with probably a four-year postseason ban. You're going to be getting players that probably would be playing a different sport. Again, with the cool runnings reference, (laughs) they would be playing a different sport. But maybe they're not good at that other sport. So you recruit them. You you get like a a Jimmy Graham, a guy who plays – Tight end in the in, in for, for college, right? Or for a high school. You get a guy who's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wants to play football. You say, I'm going to offer you a scholarship. I just want you to run up and down the floor, cause turnovers, and dunk. You get a free ride to Louisville. I know this has always been. that This style is your wet dream. Oh, it is. and For years. Now, here's my question for you. You have always been... For years, as long as I've known you and as long as you had been coaching, which, what are we at, five years now? This is the sixth year. Six six years of coaching. A fan of the motion offense. Correct. My guess is you cannot run the motion offense with these guys. Oh, God, no. So what would you run? Read and react. Memphis? Kentucky? Kentucky. Exactly. What you do is you set set off-ball screens. You set ball screens. But you let them use their athleticism. You and hope to God that they are superior athletic. Because if you get a team that matches up somewhat athletically to them, they're screwed because these guys won't be able to shoot. Yeah. But you get them running up and down the floor, you get them using their speed, using their strength, using their athleticism, they can create some ha- havoc. I, I would not I feel like you are applying right now for the head coaching job. I, I'm, hey, if the Louisville athletic director wants me, I won't take much money. I won't need much money to get the job. That's good because all their money is going to be in lawyers' fees. Um, give me a hundred, give me two hundred thousand dollars, and I will be head, head coach at least six hundred. 
Paul Wolf paid, made six hundred. Okay, so I'll tell you what. I'll take a discount. Five hundred thousand dollars. You give me five hundred thousand dollars. I will go be the head coach at Louisville. I won't leave. Okay, for a better job. Because honestly, in my opinion, Louisville is a top ten job in the entire country. Anyways, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, so, to kind of piggyback or dive a little bit into the whole thing that prompted this discussion. You as a youth basketball coach, you don't you do not coach for schools. You coach in coach the select. AAU programs. Yes. Two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One is were you surprised and two is is college and high school well, AAU basketball the most corrupt American sport? Those are basically the same question, to be <laughs> honest, because no, I was not surprised. So I've coached at a, I'm not going to mention the name, but I've coached at a sports academy out here in Seattle. They have some of the, the best players in Seattle, and we play against some of the other best players. Now, I coached the JV 7th grade team, but I went to some of the high school games just to watch. So I saw some of the best high school talent Seattle has to offer. And I saw the backhanded stuff that went after the game of these sports academies, these AAU programs, and it's everyone in the area trying to recruit these players to different sports academies, saying, oh, and and I don't know if they did it underhandedly, illegally, anything like that, but there was definite recruiting for AAU going on. That's actually one of the reasons why I got out of coaching for the sports academy is because I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to coach. I wanted to get the guys that I had, which is why, again, I was coaching the JV team. I wanted to get the guys that I had, and I wanted to coach them up. I didn't want to recruit. Now, college basketball, that's a different story. I would love to recruit for college basketball, but that's not my job for middle schoolers. My job as a middle school basketball coach is to teach the kids that I have, train would up you, the kids that I you, have. So you saw it. Yeah. At that level. Yes. Yes. Uh, There was one kid, eighth grader, who his dad just rode him so hard and so hard and so hard. And he was just, his body was breaking down as an eighth grader because his dad was riding him so hard. And that's another thing, man. That's just not something I want to do. And to answer your other question, no, I'm not surprised at all that this happened. AAU is very corrupt and the shoe industries are very corrupt and that is what is going on. And it's, I still think it's only the tip of the iceberg. I still think there's going to be many more schools implicated. Well, we will definitely, uh, to sound like a newsman, follow this story as it develops this uh, today, you know, found out more about Patino and the money Adidas was giving him. So we will, delve into this more as we come but i think that we have reached the end of our podcast and we will see you all next week cheers everyone thank you